Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast. O'Brien, uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I am Ben. We are here, as always, with our super producer, uh, I want to be careful with the nickname here, Scott. Well, we're here with Noel, and we'll find a nickname for him along the way. <laughs> yeah, there could be numerous funny nicknames we could come up with for this one. I some, yeah, some that might sound offensive if you don't have the context of today's show. And this is, this is a fascinating one for us. This is um, partially uh, a history spot, partially an exploration of locomotives, an exploration of national security. Of hitchhiking. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff here. And this is something that you brought up, by the way, in, uh, in a Nuts and Bolts episode, I believe, right? Right, yeah. Uh, we had talked about something called the Hobo Code. Yes. And uh, and if you dove into that or if you looked into that at all, um, I think it's I think it's definitely something worthwhile. And we, we went even deeper than that. And, Ben, you, you plan to take this uh, kind of to another level with another show that you do here. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have a, a couple of different uh, um, forums for this uh, this topic to be kind of flushed out and to uh, see what it's all about. But today we're going to focus on uh, the trains and, as you said, you know, the people that do this and maybe the maybe a little bit of the technology, but not a whole lot because we have a train podcast uh, that we've done in the past um, that talks all about you know diesel efficiency and um, I don't know. I'm probably getting off topic here. Mm. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, what it's all about today because um, it, it shouldn't be. A derogatory term or a slam in any way when right. we call these people hobos. Yes, hobos, tramps, bums, and and the thing is, they embrace those terms. Right, those are self-identifying terms. Uh, these are the people that historically would hop onto a freight train, hop onto a boxcar, and ride it from one town to the next. Maybe picking up odd jobs as they go. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not. Maybe causing trouble. Uh-huh. But those would be bums. Yeah, those are the uh, differentiation between these, as we'll get to. As we'll get to. Yeah. So when most people think of the idea of a hobo in the U.S., what we tend to think of would be 
a middle-aged to older man during the Great Depression, right, with a stick and a bindle. That's the name for that thing that's, you know, that they carry over their shoulders, uh, hopping on the train, um, maybe a little dirty, but with a, a, a dignity because the Great Depression, the economic situation of the Great Depression sent uh, thousands and thousands of people. They were driven out of their homes. They had no place to sleep. They had no place to work. So they traveled to find the work and they couldn't afford to drive. They would walk as much as they could, so they had one answer to get across the country. That was the railroad, and the railroad had uh, vast opportunities on the railroad to uh, to mm-hmm. uh, because there were a lot of train tracks in the United States. There still are, in fact, uh, you know, as of two thousand six, there's something like one hundred and forty thousand miles of railroad tracks mm-hmm. in the United States. Now, I know that's an older number, so I don't know if they're really laying a lot of railroad tracks these days are not probably not as much as they did back then right. i would guess that um in in the 1930s uh there were there were less but not significantly less amounts of, of train tracks in the united states so there's a lot of opportunity to get on trains it was a it was a simple uh very efficient fast way to get across the country quickly to where the work was mm-hmm. right and as these people who numbered in let's see in uh 1911 uh there was a guy named Professor Lael Shafee who, uh, in a hit piece called What Tramps Cost the Nation, he estimated that the population of uh, migratory train train riders was over 700,000. Wow. Huge number. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys were riding not only inside the uh, the boxcars, like, you know, we think of. Right. But they were riding underneath the cars. They were balanced on, uh, the, the you know, the suspension of the train, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very precarious positions. And they were hanging on for long, long periods of time. Uh, there's, a, there's a real skill to riding trains, as we'll find out. You know, there's a there's a lot to it. There's some there's some rules. There's some safety rules. Yes. Um, but back then, I wonder I wonder how it was, was it much more dangerous back in the uh, in the Depression era, or was it was it less dangerous back then? And I, I'm not talking about simply the physical dangers uh, of the train itself, because I think that's re- remained a constant. Mm-hmm. I think that the uh, I wonder if it was uh, the the people aspect of the whole thing, the people that you encounter along the way. I wonder if it was more dangerous then versus today. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a good question because we can talk about some of the seedy underbelly that a life such as this necessarily entails. Yeah, and you know what? We're going to talk about both sides of this too. We're going to keep right. it. We'll try to keep it balanced, right? Right. Oh, and before we go any further, uh, ladies and gentlemen, what we will be talking about will involve the methods people use to get on trains. We'll tell you some a little bit about the lifestyle, a little bit about the the differences in modern trains and in past trains. And while we say all of this, just to be very clear to uh, the railroad bulls, the radio bulls, if such a thing exists, we are not recommending doing this. Trains are dangerous. Uh, we have called trains the apex predator of the road before. Yeah, they're absolutely deadly. And you'll hear if you listen to any interviews with hobos or tramps, they will tell you. Uh, that one of the <laughs> the thing that you need to be most afraid of is the train itself, and and that's no lie. They, they'll cut you right in half. It's it's a very dangerous thing to do. We're not condoning it. We're just explaining it. That's all. Right. The lucky people lose a limb. Yeah, and the other you, ones die. Oh, and you see it often. It happens a lot. There's a lot of railroad deaths that happen every year because of this. I don't even. It's in the thousands. It is. Um, it's huge. It's a huge, huge number. And, it's probably an unreported yeah. number. Right, and we can we can talk uh, about some of that as well. But again, just to lay the disclaimer out there, uh, what Chuck would probably call the CYA, 
uh, we've got <laughs> we uh, we want to be clear that we are not necessarily condoning this, but it is fascinating because this is not just a practice. There is a, an entire culture which exists invisible to mainstream America. And we'll tell you a little bit about some of the ways you can see this culture if you happen to be walking by a railroad yard. Yeah, it's one of those things that once you know, you see it everywhere, or you see it in in the places that you expected to see it, expect to see it. Then, um, and and that's the way it is with that uh, that code that you mentioned, the hobo code. Yes, um, that is the way it is with. Uh, you may look at individuals that you see on the street in your city a little differently. Mm-hmm. You may not have understood, you know, where they're coming from or where they've where they've gone to for the last couple of months, but now they're back again. Uh you may you may not have known that those people were rail riders or um you know train hoppers or freight hopping people or whatever they want to call them. Um again, hobos is not a term that they uh they deny. They in fact they embrace that term. So uh right. you know as we say hobos along the way again don't think we're being, uh, you know, any, any way disparaging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, here's another thing too. It's an interesting word because no one's quite sure where the where the etymology of that word goes. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Uh, we do know that in the 1890s in California there was a surge in the use of the term hobo in printed material, but we don't we don't know the first person who was it. Was it a judge said you hobo? Yeah, was maybe. It? I mean, but see, 40 years later, that's when the, this whole thing became, uh, I guess you could say popular. It wasn't popular. It was necessary at that point, really, for a lot of right. people, uh, during the depression. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a long, long period of time when, you know, between when the name was first used and then when it was, you know, much more, uh, commonplace, I guess, in, in, at least in American culture. And that's the classic image you get, right? Like you said, with the bindle, you know, over the shoulder. Right. Um, you know, everything that you own in the world is in that pack and, and you're headed out to hopefully find work. You know, picking apples or something. You know, whatever you, whatever your uh, your ambitions are. Yeah, we can we can spend a little bit of time in the history here because I have some I have a, a disturbing uh, thing about the song Big Rock Candy Mountain. Really? Okay. Yeah, you've heard that song, right? I don't, I don't know if I have or not. Big Rock Candy Mountain. Uh, it's a it's a song that is uh, traditionally sung uh, as it's from the viewpoint of. The way we hear it now, it's from the viewpoint of a homeless uh, migratory worker, a, a hobo or a tramp, who is singing of a um, a place called Big Rock Candy Mountain, uh, where it is a bum's version of paradise. So one of the lyrics is, In the Big Rock Candy Mountains, there's a land that's fair and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes and you sleep out every night where the boxcars all are empty and the sun shines every day and the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs, the bluebird sings in the Big Rock Candy Mountain. Hmm. It's like this um, strangely limited version of paradise, right? Yeah, yeah. However, the original ending lyric, ending passage, changes the meaning of the song because it alludes to a uh, dark reality of... These people riding the rails, and it turns out in the last stanza that this bum who is singing this song and telling this wild tale of the Big Rock Candy Mountain is trying to sucker this young boy into following him into a train car. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. There's uh, there's a lot of rumors about stuff like this that happens on trains. I mean, that uh, there's some bad cats that you'll run across. Even now, it's not it's not necessarily a safe place. Yeah. Oh, right? oh no, no, not by any means. In fact, uh, they take a lot of uh, modern day ho- uh, hobos will take precautions against that sort of thing with uh, by by different means. They'll either arm themselves or have a dog, maybe. Uh, oh, that's a big one. You'll often see these. Uh, I guess. 
Land Rovers. I don't know what you call them, really. People no. that are, you know, walking in your city, you know, kind of hanging out in the field for a while and waiting for to catch the next train. Uh, they've got a dog with them, and you think, well, what is, what is a, a homeless person doing with a dog? That's just an extra mouth to feed, right? And well, sometimes people look down on that and say, uh, how irresponsible, that's unfair to the dog. Oh, yeah, they'll say that, but the thing is, they, they, if they were to talk to them, they'll probably find out that the dog eats better than the hobo does. And they would also find out that there's a, a purpose behind having that dog with you. And that is because a dog uh, tends to, well, it can scare away somebody, uh, a bad person who's approaching you at night when you're sleeping. Uh, they will be very sensitive to the fact that somebody's, you know, rummaging through your your personal items. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's good protection. It's a, it's, it's a smart move on their part. And again, yeah, it is an extra mouth to feed when you're on the road. And that's probably tough. Uh, when you're, you know, mm-hmm. really scraping for every dollar, um, in many cases. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a smart move. And also, you know, some of them will arm themselves. In addition to having a dog, they'll also have, you know, knives. They'll also have, uh, possibly handguns in some cases. Right. But a handgun is risky in case you get caught. It's, uh, it's, it's more rare for them to carry a handgun than it would be to carry a knife. It's more, much more common to carry a knife in this situation. Right. And knives are just as dangerous in close quarters, if not more so. Yeah. Exa- exactly. Exactly. So, um, Ben, we can talk about, you know, advantages and disadvantages, and we can talk about um, safety. We can talk yeah. about, um, you know, just some of the common sense things that, that modern hobos need mm-hmm. to do, or even just hobos in general need to do. Um, there's there's so many angles. There's slang along the way. Uh, there's also there's, there's a festival that we need to talk about even. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of trends in, in train riding. This is those are weird, the train surfing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what do you want to do next? Well, let's, okay, hmm, you're right. We have an embarrassment of riches. Yes. Maybe let's talk a little bit about uh, the type of freight cars these folks are riding. Sounds good. And then we'll also look at maybe how they get to the right train on time. All right. Okay. So there are a, uh, uh, there, there are multiple types of freight rail, right? Or rolling stock as it's called. Mm-hmm. And we call them freight cars in the US. Uh, you might hear them called trucks in the UK. Originally there were only a few types. There was the the flat wagon or the flat car, which you've, we've all seen before. It just looks like it's waiting for that cargo container to be knocked on it. There's the box car, which has the side openings, mm-hmm. and we see that a lot in um fictionalized depictions, right? Sure. Yep. Uh because as we know in the in the post 9-11 society, a lot of those formerly open boxcars are sealed tight, and it's very difficult to get in them, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Uh, then you might see uh, a refrigerator car, which is also going to be sealed tight. I don't know how you would get in there. And the question is, would you want to? You would not want to. Right. It would be dangerous. Uh, and then there's there's one that is common, uh, also called the gondola. Gondola. Right? Yeah, that's the kind you'll see, like uh, like loose material, right, uh, like grain. Uh, yeah, or coal, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, stone of some kind, maybe, um, or any other substance that you can, uh, you know, scoop and dump into the uh, into the gondola. Right. And uh, that is that's a common one, I think, because you can ride. You get a good view. Uh, it's open air, so there's uh, you know a lot of uh, uh, a lot of wind coming through. But yeah. but you know if the if the temperature is right and if the conditions are right, then that might be a, a decent one to ride. But it's also um, not visible. To pedestrians, yeah, yeah, uh, it's not it, like if you are forced to ride nested in between two cars, you know, just ducking under the uh, angle of the of the gondola or something. 
people might see you when the train rolls through. Uh, and this is critical because, and if you if you don't know this about the hobo culture, uh, one of the key points of being being a hobo, being a modern hobo, is that you're not seen. And I think that that's true in the past as well. It's just that you didn't you don't want to be seen hanging on to one of these cars or, or inside one of these cars because, uh, you know, who knows, that might be a, uh, um, a police officer that you just pass at the next, at the next um, intersection. So, yeah. And they'll call ahead to the next train station and have you arrested when you get off. And then we'll talk about fines and all that stuff later and what happens when you're caught. Very, yeah, yeah, it varies greatly uh, from country to country. But um, you, it, it's really, really critical that you're not spotted. So, you know, there's bad advice to, uh, to, to wear neon colors or bright red or something like that. You want to dress in, in darker, uh, like, I, I guess earth tone colors, you know, um, right. that, that kind of match the trains. You can picture what I'm talking about, like a burgundy or black or brown. Well, and Scott, um, our listeners, you may have seen these people before with a big backpack, maybe a dog mm-hmm. with a bandana, and yeah. they also have a bandana. And we'll explain why those bandanas exist, mm-hmm. too. Uh, and maybe it looks like they haven't taken a shower in a while just because it's dirt, It's a dirty situation to ride this way. Oh, yeah. You know, not only – I was thinking about this, and, and I've seen people that have this appearance, and it almost seems like they're covered in, uh, in like, brown – like a light like a brown soot. dust. Yeah, yeah. Soot. And you know what that is? It's probably – uh, rail, rail dust. Yeah. You know, coming from the wheels and the, and the rails, I bet they're covered in iron dust. And, uh, and of course that gets smudged and smeared on you and the trains themselves are dirty, you know, like, uh, just, you know, soil as well, uh, grease and all that. But, um, yeah, some of these people don't have a chance to shower for long, long periods of time. But the, but the clothing, if we, if we don't skip over this for just one second. Yeah. yeah. It's it, it, one of the things I noticed that uh, on all these uh, these forums because a lot of people get together and, and talk about, you know, train hopping, uh, on forums, on online forums. Mm-hmm. They're a little more high tech, you might think now, but um, they they choose to to wear like real heavy leather boots. You don't wear tennis shoes because, well, that's for obvious reasons. Protect right. your feet uh, right. makes makes perfect sense. Steel toed would be nice. Yeah, long. They wear they wear long pants because mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to burn your legs on anything. You know, whether it's um, hot machinery or if it's on just hot metal or freeze your legs. I guess you know on something that's really cold, again, cold metal. Um, you want to wear something that a lot of people wear suspenders. Um, uh, uh, suspenders, not suspenders. Um, over overalls, I guess would be. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the one piece things, you know, they uh-huh. go over and uh, and um, hats and you know bandanas Maybe again. A hoodie. Oh, leather gloves is big. Uh, you need to have a good set of leather gloves so that when you're grabbing onto rusty, jagged materials, you don't mm-hmm. uh, you don't cut your hands to shreds. Mm-hmm. So that's critical as well. There's there's a lot of uh, really, I mean, just common sense items that um, these, these modern hobos need. That uh, um, it's just good common sense. A cell phone is probably common also. Uh, for the ability to contact outside, because these are people with families, yeah. many of them, mm-hmm. or friends, or maybe a contact who doesn't travel that they can hit up when they, you know, when they cruise into the rail rail yard over there by Little Five Points here in Atlanta. <laughs> this is a specific concrete example, folks, uh, because where Scott and Noel and I are uh, in Atlanta, we're we're just a stone's throw away figuratively speaking, from a pretty large rail yard. And Atlanta is definitely a rail hub. It's a rail town. So depending on the time of year and maybe the the time of the month, you might see uh, an influx of people who are coming from that rail yard to Little Five Points. And you might see some of the same folks come and go over the years and return. This is a real thing. Now, Scott, you and I were talking with uh, one of our colleagues and editor, uh, Catherine, and 
she and uh, another editor of ours, Allison, had asked us if modern hobos still existed. Well, the concept of the old time hobo uh, with a both a uh, moral code that was understood by all hobos and with a physical code to communicate with hobos uh, regardless of time or distance, that exists, but it's fading out. And it is being replaced, however, by another type of population, which was what we're talking about when we talk about these modern hobos. And there are still thousands and thousands of folks riding the rail for one reason or another, some for adventure, some because they slipped through the cracks of society or they don't want to participate in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a number of uh, of situations, I guess, family mm-hmm. situations yeah. that I heard about or read about along the way. Because uh, there's some there's some you know video interviews of, of these folks mm-hmm. you know near the uh, near the train tracks. Uh, there's also you know a lot of uh, firsthand accounts, like almost like diary entries that you can read online. Yes, uh, stories that were written by hobos. And uh, man, some of these are just heartbreaking tales and and why they decided to kind of just drop out of society. Um, right. you know, like, um, Can you blame them? Yeah, I mean, just just one one quick example. I'll give you like one idea of yeah, why somebody might do this. Like this young guy. I mean, really, really young. He's probably nineteen, maybe twenty. Uh, he was talking about how he was living at home and everything was going just fine. He had a nice girlfriend. His girlfriend was raped, and then she couldn't deal with the pressure. You know, the 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 whatever the the mental situation after that, she killed herself. And he oh, he went just cra- it just went crazy. I mean he he couldn't take it anymore. The pressure and you know the the uh, the the the, um, the social stigma I guess that goes along with all this and you know like the the uh, you know, everything he had to deal with. And he said you know what I just I, for a while I just got to get away from there. And that's why he started riding the rails. And then once he started doing that, he got kind of caught up in it. And he decided that you know this is what I want to do for a while at least until I can really get things together yeah. and then come back and and then reestablish myself in my community in my family. And you can kind of make everything right again, but I really need this time away to uh, to set myself straight. And other people, you know, of course, are some people are fleeing, uh, you know, arrest warrants or uh-huh. child support payments or oh, possible. Uh, this is a bad one: sex offender status. You know that mm-hmm. they have to report in. So a lot of people just say, "I'm just going to live a, a transient life. I'm going to be a drifter, um, and uh, and live that lifestyle to kind of avoid all that all those legal responsibilities." But the the danger with them them is that if they are ever caught. You know, for something as minor as hopping a train, and I, I say minor, it varies, but right, um, you know, relatively minor. Mm-hmm. It's a trespassing it's a thing. It's a trespassing uh, yeah. ticket. Yeah, exactly. So it varies in, in fines and everything. But uh, if you're caught with that, you're going to have to face the charges that you uh, that you ran away from. I mean, it's going to catch up to you. Right. And if you live in this sort of lifestyle, even if you don't have any priors, and you live in this sort of lifestyle, then eventually over time, you will, you know, get a ticket and then you'll get a ticket for failing to appear in court, and these little things can add up. Yeah, sure. And then you become a, uh, I guess you become a wanted fugitive, really, at that point. Mm-hmm. Some people um, even use trains to, you know, cross borders. Uh, so, you know, there's an immigration situation going on with some people. Um, that's a lot tougher because they're very strict at those uh, at those border crossing locations. They know what to watch for. They they're really watching those trains carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course they are. And I just have to mention. One of my favorite scenes, I think we mentioned it in Nuts and Bolts, the train robbery. Oh, yeah. It was just so impressive. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who hasn't watched Breaking Bad, I guarantee you, you will enjoy parts of it. And one of the, if only the train heist, if only if only to watch the great train robbery, yeah. uh, you should check out that show. And that liquid, by the way, was methylamine. 
Methylamine. Yeah, we okay. couldn't think of the yeah, name yeah, of the, yeah. uh, the liquid at the time, and it was it was methylamine, but uh, a huge amount of it. And uh, what a fascinating scene. And a fairly realistic, for our purposes today, a fairly realistic depiction of how difficult it would be to attempt to rob a train. So this is another look at train crime. This is We're really talking about train crime. And I'm not saying that these are bad people. Who are, who are hopping, uh, the rail or riding freight from one way to another. Uh, they are doing something dangerous, you know, but this is also part of a long standing tradition. Ernest Hemingway was a train hopper, right? And, uh, people have ridden trains not just for adventure, but also for necessity. And it's across the world. It's way more common in other parts of the world than it is here in the U.S. But we will tell you some of the techniques that people use to hop on trains. Now, we say this as outsiders, and we also say this as people concerned with their safety. So if you are a practicing vagabond, if you are a uh, modern-day train hopper, then I want to establish first, we're not going to reveal any of the... I, I think we should respect this community, right, and mm-hmm. not reveal too many of their secrets. Sure. Especially their the closely held ones, which we probably don't know. Actually. No, of course we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> They're closely held. They're closely held. Okay, so let's say that you, listener, have had enough of society. You've had it up to here, and consarn it, you can't take anymore. So you say, "I am going to hit the iron. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the iron road." Yeah, don't say you're gonna uh, take the westbound though, because that means you died. Yeah, the westbound. That's part of the slang. If someone takes the westbound train, that means they have died. So, uh, so phrase it differently. Phrase but, it uh, differently. But let's just say that you are headed out. You're, you're, you're done with uh, whatever your situation is right now. What what's the first step? Like how do how are you going to get on that train? I mean, after you planned everything out, you got the right clothing, you got your packs with your right. pots and pans and your uh, your change of socks and all that stuff. How are you going to get on that train? The first thing that you do is find the rail yard and observe carefully. Don't don't count on just standing somewhere near where your uh, your town has a train track that rolls across the road. The train's probably going to be going too fast for you to hop on, especially now. And even if it looks like it's going slow while you're standing there, the closer you'll get, the the more uh, realistically you'll see the speed. It's very deceptive. I I guess the the general rule of thumb is never jump on a train that is moving faster than you can run. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great rule of thumb. And also, uh, if you can avoid it, don't don't feel like you have to jump on a train. So you want to find, ideally, a rail yard. A rail yard will be a place where many railroad tracks converge and different freight or different, you know, junk cars or, or whatever, they, they switch out containers and uh, they change their route. Maybe they, maybe they head, you know, north or south or east. They change directions. So let's say you find one of those places. The very first thing, don't just go in and try to hop on a train. Uh, the, the first thing you probably should do uh, are the following. One, observe uh, for as much time as you can the, the, the motions of the rail yard. Get to feel the rhythm of it. When does, when does, the, uh, when does the staff change? What do those sounds mean, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of these people really know how to read a train and re- how to read what the, what the situation is 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 telling them. I mean, it's uh, it, you know, the train will. Uh, I think they call it air up at a certain point, and that's when you can hear the brakes releasing, and mm-hmm. uh, the train begins to roll very very slowly at that point. And a lot of them, that's when they spring into action, is when it first begins to move, or just before it stops. And you have to know exactly when all the stuff is going to happen, and where is the smart time 
to make your move. And, right. Yeah. And you might find, uh, there, you can still, it's, you can still catch one on the fly, jump on a slow moving train. Uh, but ideally, if you observe this stuff, you will find the precise moment to go. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to get over some fencing, right? And mm-hmm. as soon as you go over the fence, that counts as that's your trespassing charge. Yeah, so you need to be careful from that point forward. Uh, not, right. not so much when you get right on the train, but when you are on their property. And you're not necessarily alone in this because it is not unusual for uh, other people who are traveling to have a camp or what used to be called a hobo jungle, mm-hmm. right, uh, nearby. And that's where you can... Uh, talk with people who may know the yard better or more experienced. Yeah. Okay. Can I say something here? Yeah. I think this is important. All right. Uh, if this is your first time doing this, uh, you wade in there very carefully because some people are very territorial about this kind of thing as mm-hmm. well. Uh, they don't look, you know, too kindly on somebody who is maybe just trying this out for a weekend. An you know, and yeah, you got a, you know, a nice full credit card and you're, you've got brand new gear and you're going to hop on the train with them who, you know, the, the person who, does it as a lifestyle. You know, they, right. they, they, they truly live and breathe this every day. Uh-huh. And, uh, they, they, they will spot you quickly that you're a brand new person doing this. Uh, maybe that's not so bad. You might find somebody who, uh, is very helpful and will be, you know, a mentor. Yeah, more sort. than happy to help you along the way. But, I don't know but, if you should bet on that. Man, you gotta be really, really careful and, and pick and choose who you talk to there, I would think. And be very careful about what information you reveal about yourself. Oh yeah, cause that can be used against you at any point, really. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a brutal world, really. I mean, it really is. Right. It can be. It can be. So let's say though, in this, for the sake of this argument, and get the recommendation, or you know what, let's say that this is not your first time in the railroad rodeo. I can't believe I said that without stuttering. Nice work. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, let's say that people are familiar with you, right? You have passed one of the first marks of respect, which is that someone has given you a name, right? Which you can't give yourself. But there's one thing missing to really be accepted in this community. You must find uh, one of the most secret documents that exist in, in public America. It's not classified. But you will not find it online. And if we, if we ever find stuff like that online, uh, in, it's within our power, we delete it out of respect for this community. Sure. Yeah. There are, there are forums where people have posted it and the backlash against the people that do post something like that is tremendous. I mean, there's a, uh, there's a, just a, a hatred for somebody who puts this online because it is, it is, uh, held so dearly in this community. Uh, that uh, it, it's a sacred document to them, really. It's I mean, a it really is. Atlas. Yeah. So, so what's it called? It's it's a, it's really intriguing. I'll tell you that. What's it called, Ben? The Crew Change Guide. The Crew Change Guide, and that tells you kind of the inner workings of um, a, a, the whole system, really, right? Yeah. Associated with a fellow known as the Train Doc or Train Doctor, uh, the Crew Change Guide is a cop is a is a guide to the schedules and directions of various railroad yards. So when do uh, when do the crews on the train switch out, of course, which means the train has to be motionless for some time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are they heading and where are the best spots? What should you avoid? What has changed? All, of course, all private rail companies have their own internal versions of this, uh, but these might change. And they're in at any given time, and they're also relatively obscure uh, or secretive due to national security, due to concerns about, you know, stolen property or something. Because, again, it's so easy for us to forget how 
heavily reliant the U.S. economy is on rail. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Yeah, that's true. It really is. And, you know, you, you said that it, it's held very close. I mean, they, they really treasure this document, only right? Only so, from hand to hand. Yeah, there's, a, there's only one way to get it. And you have to know, I guess, a, a seasoned hobo mm-hmm. uh, that has this document that will then give you a copy or his copy even. To rec- uh, some and cases. recommend to you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's not something you're going to get your hands on right away. Uh, so, in other words, the uh, the youngsters, the ones that are just beginning, mm-hmm. they really have to watch and learn what is happening at those train yards, and that's and that in itself is very difficult to do, as you said. I mean, you've, I, I would say that the planning for this is is, planning this, is key. it's really key. It's it's also um, that's got to take a long, long time to learn, you know, kind of the ins and outs before you even venture into your first ride. Yeah. Oh. I think there are quite a few people who have probably just hopped, just met somebody who was going to do it and then hopped on the train with them. Yeah, some maybe got lucky doing that, and others probably had a uh, maybe the worst experience of their life doing Tri- that. Probably. Trial by fire. But also, yeah. Scott, um, we, we can't forget that people don't always have the opportunity to plan, and that cre- uh, human beings are creatures of amazing ingenuity. So if they have to learn to survive... And they will learn very quick. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I absolutely agree. I think you can adapt to that situation and make it work for you. But, uh, man, some of these stories, they're just, I mean, 
they'll, they'll just put your hair on end. Some of these stories. I mean, they yeah. really are uh, unbelievable. Some of them are, are are good stories. Some of them are great stories about things people have seen. Because that's one of the uh, you know one of the advantages of this, I guess, is that a lot of people say. I get to see parts of the country that no, no one, one else sees. No one else sees. Well, I mean, the conductor, I guess. Well, maybe, but here's <laughs> the thing with the conductor. The conductor's in, in the cab, you know, yeah. up in the front of the train, right. and he's got a window view. If you're on top of a train or if you're, uh, you've got a, you know, a 360 degree view or a 180 degree view, panoramic view, you're seeing things that really not many people get to see. I mean, of course, there's the interstate system, which is enormous, but you don't get to see Everything that people that ride trains get to see, um, it's just it's it's a different set of uh, of uh, scenery. It's I don't know how to America. Say it's a hidden America. It's the same. It's the same kind of experience that drives people out into our vast national forest, where you can disappear. This brings me to a bigger point, Scott, which is that here in the states, we sometimes forget. You know, with all this surveillance and, and social media and stuff. We sometimes forget that there are places where you can legitimately disappear. You can you can leave. You don't have to just leave America by hopping on a plane or riding a boat. You can leave America and still live here just invisibly, right? Yeah, it's a weird thought, isn't it? That yeah. uh, when we're here in Atlanta and it's mm-hmm. extremely crowded. I mean, there's nowhere you can, there's nowhere <laughs> right. you can go for any privacy. Right, right. Not even in this building, you can't even go anywhere for privacy. So. It's it's tough to remember that uh, you know out west and you know other places across you know the, the Midwest even there are places where you just don't see I mean there's nothing in sight there's no no person in sight rather um, so you really you truly can get lost within the United States it's very very easy there's vast open spaces still and that's true for a lot of countries of course I mean along the shorelines you're going to have the big cities the made you know the the mass uh, crowding of of um, industrial areas or whatever, but once you get out into the uh, you know the the outreaches, you know, past the city limits into the mountains or into the uh, into the desert in some cases or wherever mm-hmm. these train tracks cross, um, it's wide open, wide open spaces. Which of course does mean that is dangerous uh, if you are in a situation where all of a sudden you're in the middle of nowhere with someone and they decide they like you your stuff more than they like you. Yeah. Right. And that, that happens too. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, railway murders that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, there's even a couple. There's a couple of serial killers that uh, have been caught that were, um, you know, working the rails. I guess if you yeah. want to put it that way. Can they we were, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, there's a there's a few, and I only have a couple of examples okay. here, but there are more. Um, let's see. I think the 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 one that immediately came to mind was the guy that they called the boxcar killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is Robert Joseph Silveria Jr. and uh, I think he worked somewhere around, uh, like, worked. I keep saying worked. I mean, that's a terrible way to put it. But operated? Operated, yeah. Um, in a 15-year time span between 1981 and, I think, 1996, and he was resp- responsible for something like 15 murders, but then they said that he confessed to 28 murders. And, of course, he was a, a, a rail rider. He uh-huh. was just killing his fellow riders along the way, along those, in those 15 years. Um, then there was another guy, I believe he was a Mexican citizen, who operated in the U.S. and in Mexico in the 1990s, and he killed also 15 people. His name was um, Angel Maturino Resendez, and um, a bad guy. They called him the railway killer. So, you know, there's variations of this along the way, that, but they're all railway-focused or, you know, somehow you know, other killing other railway riders. Right, yes, because it is a place where there is less law enforcement, and if there's less rule of law, then it is easier for... Um, uh, it's easier for predators yeah. to get by. Another good reason to keep a dog with you. 
another great reason to keep a dog with you and to be careful what you reveal about yourself, when and where you sleep. Oh, you there's, there's so many, uh, you know, do this, don't do that type of uh, situations. Hey, Scott, interesting thing about the first one, the boxcar killer, uh, he was a member of a criminal gang. Oh, no kidding. The Freight Train Riders of America, which is a relatively innocuous name. There is a Freight Train Gang? Mm-hmm, the FTRA. Oh, I didn't know that. It's a gang of um, homeless transients who move about in railroad cars. Uh, they're linked to many violent crimes. They're, uh, they operate within the northwestern U.S. Mm. Uh, they, you can trace their origin uh, to 1984 in Montana. A group of Vietnam veterans uh, started this. They claim to be, here's where the stories differ, okay? They claim to be a group of people who organize to support each other mutually, right? Mm, yeah. And we could talk about some of the amazing uh, acts of support and generosity and communication we see in this culture. But, of course, the U.S. government, Uncle Sam, doesn't agree with them. Uh, in 1998, there were an estimated 1,000 or more FTRA members and then you'll hear estimates that range from as low as 600 to as high as 3,000. They're most likely encountered on uh, the BNSF Railway's High Line that goes from Chicago to Seattle. They sleep in switching yards, bridge underpasses, boxcars. Uh, the, well, let me tell you something. Yeah, if yeah. you're going on a train from Chicago to Seattle, that's a lot of distance in between. Right. I do not like those odds of getting on a train and not having... One of these gang members on there, if there if there are as many as three thousand. Oh, I see. Yeah, I think three thousand though is a high end yeah. estimation. And every encounter is not going to be deadly, of course. I get that, you know, but, but there's going to be variations of that. There's going to be theft. There could be, you know, yeah, some type of fight situation, you know, where you're right. you're harmed in some way physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just all all kinds of things, and more than likely, they're going to take your gear. Um, and we've, we've said that a few times now. It's not just, you know, like my wool socks or whatever, but right. a lot of these guys carry cell phones and knives and, um, sleeping you know, bag, yeah, the sleeping bag a and the pack. Yeah. Sp- spanging well, for spare change. You know, the pack. <laughs> okay. Well, that's not, the, the, but the, uh, like the pack that they carry is probably expensive. Uh, they carry police scanners. We didn't mention that. Oh yeah. To be able to hear the, uh, radio communication of, uh, the train and the train workers. Yeah. So the bolts, right? The yeah. bolts are something we haven't even talked about, but when you get into these, uh, these lots, if, if, uh, you know, the people that are looking for you are called bulls. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be city bulls, which are kind of like the local guys, you know, local police or whatever, yeah. uh, that, that police that train station. And they're, um, they tend to be a little more lenient on you than would be the federal bulls. Now, the right. federal bulls are the ones that you're probably going to find around the borders. And those border, uh, bulls, uh, the federal bulls, rather, apparently, if you run off the property, you know, like they, they see you on your train, on the train, but you get away. They will track you down if it doesn't matter if it's your your three or four miles away at this point right. having having lunch in a diner somewhere if, if they, they see you, you yeah if they can find you they they're um they're very active in catching somebody because they they feel that you know in those situations a lot of times it's a um an immigration situation uh, uh, so they're they're very um focused on getting you back to or, or capturing you I guess well yeah and according to the the federal party line uh the idea of infiltrating the U.S. by railroad car is a possible terrorist threat. Yeah, and I could see, you know, certain types of uh, cargo. You know, let's say you hop a train and it also happens to be, um, you know, a train that is unmarked or whatever, but it's carrying, you know, money from a U.S. mint or something, you know, and you don't know that, but, you know, there's going to be federal 
um, officers watching that train the whole way. You don't have any well, idea. Munitions, for instance. Oh yeah, that's another big one. If there's uh, any type of military um, uh, material on board of any kind, I mm-hmm. mean, whether it's machinery or or munitions, as you said, um, all the stuff you don't you don't know what else is on the train with you, and that that could be dangerous as well. So, a lot of different danger angles here. I mean, I think in one of these places, I saw the the top disadvantage of train hopping. Was that death is around every corner? Now that's yeah, a huge, yeah. that's a huge disadvantage On when the hitchhiking wiki. Yeah, yeah, number one is death is around every corner. Right, from one reason or another. I, I just want to clarify one thing about the FTRA before we move along. Sure. Uh, the founder, a guy named Daniel Boone, and uh, Daniel Boone, <clears throat> come on. Yeah, no well, way. That's what he calls himself. Okay. Oh, okay. It's a it's a uh, hobo name. I don't know. I bet it is. I wonder. I bet it is because there's some colorful hobo names for sure. Uh, well, maybe that can be Noel's nickname for this episode. Noel, uh, Daniel Boone. That's nah, too long. It's gang leader. It's gang leader. Well, he's, uh, Daniel Boone, this character says that FTRA was founded on the basis of camaraderie, not as a criminal organization. So maybe it grew into something else. And there's still debate, of course, on to whether it is actually a gang. But I'll tell you what, I don't want to be involved. Uh, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, involved with someone who is riding that high line. And wearing a, uh, what, what is it? Wearing a black bandana with a conch for a slide. Those really the elite FTRA. Oh, so watch out for that. So if you uh, ever see that when you hop on a train, you might as well just hop right back off. I think. <laughs> well, that's, that's the information we have. Again, you know, again, I don't know how much of that is, uh, I, I don't know how accurate all Try this is. one on for size. Okay. Noel the Beard Brown. Noel the Beard, yeah. The Beard, but we just call him The Beard. The Beard. Yeah, The Beard. That's not bad. I was thinking Noel Boxcar Brown, because Boxcar was a nickname one of us got at some point. Sure, or just Boxcar Brown. Boxcar Brown. I like that. Actually, I like that. I like that. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Noel Boxcar Brown. So, uh, we should shift focus a little bit to something a little more positive. So, let's say that you have been a veteran vagabond. You've traveled around... Uh, the high lines and the low lines, the East Coast and the West, you've seen the world it was meant to be seen. And now, and you've made a lot of friends on the way. But it's so hard to meet people again, right? You can see them as you're passing through different things. What if there was some kind of thing, maybe once a year, where, where all of the, all of the hobos and vagabonds and tramps got together? Like a hobo jamboree or something? Something, yeah, yeah, I like but that. But not place. exactly. Not right. exactly. What do they call it? It's called something else, right? Uh, the Hobo Convention? The Is National it? Hobo Convention. The Hobo Convention. I couldn't think of the word right there. But Jamboree seems to fit, doesn't it? Jamboree sounds yeah. way better. But, uh, you know, we're not in charge of the naming. All right. So the National Hobo Convention that's held in Britt, Iowa, every year. And I guess as of 2016, this would be the 116th year of this Hobo Convention. Isn't Believe it or not. Yeah. And it's it's kind of it sounds like kind of a cool thing. I don't know. It's it, it, in a way, it's a little sketchy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons, I think. I right. mean, it's just it's strange to invite any hobo that can make it there to your town, isn't it? Don't you think that's strange? I do. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. 
smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. It is the largest gathering of hobos, rail riders, and tramps. Yeah, and they have things like, um, okay, they have like free breakfast and dinner. I mean, in fact, everything's free there, as a matter. A lot of people bring um, items, you know, just to kind of hand out. They have items, uh, you know, like things that people might need, like pots and pans and things. People, Travel kits. You yeah, know, yeah. They they trade toothpaste, toothbrushes. Sure, they trade um, equipment and stuff like that. It, it's it's really kind of interesting. They all camp out there. Um, they have campfires. They, uh, they, they create something called, uh, mulligan stew, I think it was. Yeah. That they serve inside of a barrel. And really, mulligan stew is just kind of whatever you have on hand. And then it's, uh, um, you know, mixed into this one big kind of hobo stew that they call mulligan stew. Um, from what I hear, it's delicious. I don't know. I, I, I can't really verify that in any way. I think it depends on when you get it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. And how hungry you are, really. Yeah. That's um, honestly, true. but, um, they have, um, they have wedding ceremonies that happen there at this event. They have a parade every year where the hobos will be, you know, on the backs of, uh, you know, tractors or whatever as they, or hay wagons as they pull them through town. And, uh, you know, they'll hold up signs like vote for, uh, you know, hobo Jim for, uh, you know, the, the, uh, what is it, the hobo king and queen yeah. of the, of the, uh, the whole event that year. And they vote, the hobos themselves vote on the king and queen and they crown them at the end of the, the ceremony mm-hmm. or the whole, the whole weekend, the convention rather. And, uh, it's kind of a prestigious thing for the hobos. Right. It is. Also, uh, I want to go back to something you mentioned there, and I don't want to bury the lead here, Scott. It is strange, you said, that a town would invite any hobo to come and, and hang out. And that's key, because this is organized by the Chamber of Commerce in Britt, Iowa. Strange, isn't it? it I is. mean, I, it, But again, 116-year tradition at this point. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I don't think they have a lot of trouble when these guys come into town. There's really not uh, you know, what you would expect. You know, I mean, just kind of in a general sense, you yeah. know, if you invite 
a thousand hobos to your town. It just doesn't doesn't happen that way. It seems to be a uh, a group that's just really excited about being together and having fun, sharing stories about being on the road. Uh, again, the campfire, I guess, is something not to be missed. You know, they uh, a lot of people sing and and dance and tell old stories and you know some new stories. Right. Um. Just it, it's a it's really it sounds like a nice event. It really so does. Here's the prestigious thing, um, about being king of the hobos or queen of the hobos. You can only be selected, like the candidate for king or queen of hobos, it can only be selected by a panel of former hobo kings. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which to me, I, I would give, uh, I would give so much to be a fly on the wall in that room. You know, I saw also that if you're elected uh, king or queen, you have your portrait painted by a lady in town there, mm-hmm. um, and they have portraits that go all the way back to the beginning. And I think they, uh, she, she did the portraits of. Uh, some of the previous winners, you know, based on photographs from the events, you know, back in the early days. Yeah. Uh, she's only started doing this maybe in the last 30 or so years. But if you were elected king or queen, you get your portrait painted once. So there are many times where a king or queen will be elected more than once based on, you know, whatever situation right. they have. They, I think they get 30 seconds to make an appeal to the crowd, you know, like why I should be <laughs> king or queen. And that 30 seconds is all you get, you know, for, for your, uh, um, your kind of your your entire run at the presidency, or not the presidency at the uh, at the your stump uh, speech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the so way to put it. There, there's also if you are a king or queen of the hobos, uh, even once, then you can be interred for free in the hobo cemetery. Yeah, there's also some, yeah cemetery, and uh, and they show respect by walking past and uh, tapping their hobo walking sticks on the uh, on the gravestones as they do that. Uh, but that that king and queen thing, I don't know if I mentioned this. When you're painted, uh, you only get your portrait painted once, and then they just add to the plaque. Every year, so you won't necessarily have you know five uh, portraits of yourself. You'll have one, but it, they'll add to the, uh, the little uh, carving at the bottom that says right. this year and that year. And then also, there's a question too, because there is dissension somewhat in this community. There is a question like, how genuine are some of the people attending here? Are they would be hobos? Are they pseudo hobos? Are they the real deal? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can see why some people on the other side would say that this is. Uh, a poser thing, or then wh- why other people would say, well, we want real hobos here and not these Johnny-come-latelys. Yeah, I think, know? you know, there's a set of rules for the king and the queen, and I noted that on the king rule list, one of the things, I mean, of course, you have to ride the rails if you're if, if, if you're going to be counted as, you know, even um, included as possible king. But on the queen list, uh, you didn't have to ride the rails. Oh. Isn't that strange? You don't is. have to, but you're still... And I don't think you, oh, of course, you're not, um, you're not evaluated by a jury of your peers either. I think that, um, the, I, I don't know if the male community votes for the queen or not. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but, um, uh, it, read the rules and you'll understand what I mean. But it's, it's differing for king versus queen. Yeah. And you can also read the, um, the ethical code from the 1889 National Hobo Convention in St. Louis, Missouri, that'll give you the idea of what what Scott and I are talking about when we talk about these these ethical situations. Oh, and one other thing I want to mention here is that uh, one of the uh, you know the little video clips that I watched was of a a former winner, you know, former king of this whole thing, mm. and the guy was uh, what they called a bridger, and I'd never heard the term bridger before, and uh, he is an older hobo who rode both steam and diesel trains. Wow! And there's not many of those guys left, you know, no. that were left over from the steam days. So. Uh, the guy that won that particular year, I don't remember exactly what his name was, um, but uh, he, uh, again, he rode steam engines as well as diesel engines, because the diesel are the modern ones, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, man, that, that goes way back. 
That does go way back. It's, it is, I, I know I've used the phrase before, but it is a, a hidden history thing. So let's look at, um, oh, and it's the second week of August usually. The convention, if you oh, want to go. Yeah, that's right. So if you uh, if you want to look into that, you know, maybe you can uh, drive in, or maybe even who knows, ride the rails in, right? It's up to you. We do not condone. Oh, that's right. We legally do not, in any way, encourage that. And Ben, you know what? Can I can I just interrupt for one second? Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, this is the the right direction to go with this. But I there's one thing that I really want to talk about before we finish, and that is train surfing. Oh yeah. And it's yeah. A, it's a trend, and they call it a trend. But here's the thing: this trend. Kind of comes and goes. It's like there's been some. I, I know I've seen old black and white photos of people train surfing in Brazil. Uh, uh-huh. You know, from back in the 1960s or 1970s, or maybe even before that. Uh, and and now it's kind of a it's a more modern thing, I guess. Now maybe it's the equipment they use now or mm-hmm. what. But um, uh, train surfing is a is a strange phenomenon. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so the idea is that you're standing on top of the train. You know, at speed, and this is so dangerous. I mean, it's ridiculously dangerous. And, you, and if you watch any of the videos of anybody doing this, you just you cannot believe the chances these people are taking because of you know low bridges, uh, you know tunnels, of course, uh, just mm-hmm. just power lines. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of, of course, just falling off the train itself. Yeah, uh, that's one thing. The speeds that the trains are traveling are a lot faster uh, than you might think. I mean, mm-hmm. they're really really moving along here. Some people train surf on. High speed trains, and I did. I could not believe that rail. on high speed rail. And you can also, um, you, you can also asphyxiate in the tunnels. Yeah, or uh, breathing fumes, which is why those bandanas are important. It's not just an ornamental thing. So we got around to it. We so got the, there. Uh, yeah, the, the bandanas. <laughs> yeah, so they're they're meant as kind of like a uh, um, a filter, I suppose. Really. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of train surfing, right? Let's talk about. Riding the rails in other countries, just briefly. Oh yeah, because that's uh, it's very close to what you see in other countries, right? Yes. So what what's the, the what's the uh, the most egregious example of this, Ben, that you've ever seen? Because I, I think I know where you're going to go. Yeah, uh, probably the most egregious examples that you and I have seen, if not firsthand, are in Bangladesh and India, right? So Asian riders, yeah, uh, on Asia. these trains, it's it seems to be. Um, it, well, it's, it's perfectly acceptable, I guess, in this, in this culture right. to ride on the outside of trains. And, and Ben, I've seen thousands of people on a single train, uh, you know, riding outside yeah. of the train, not inside, but outside of the train. That, that situation just seems like a, like a powder keg ready to go off. It's crazy. I mean, how, if one person falls, it seems like they would take three or four people with them. Right. Yeah, exactly. There could be a domino effect. Yeah. Uh, we're specifically talking about, um, yeah, we're specifically talking about South Asia, but uh, train surfing is common also in Russia and Australia. People ride the rails in Australia. Uh, yeah, you see um, some younger kids that do it, um, you know, and of course they have the GoPro cameras with them and, you know, they've got themselves strapped in and they've got yeah. ski goggles on and, you know, all sorts of gear. But uh, some of the, the risk that they take, it's crazy. I've seen people um, almost like there's one guy. This is an awful one, Ben. I saw this online. It was a guy was, uh, and I don't know where this happened. He was hanging out of a boxcar. He had one hand on on a rail, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a, on a handle rather, and he's kind of flinging his body out to the outside of the train, like his legs and his, his arms are out, and he's almost like doing a dance. It was like a show off type thing, right? Yeah. And as he's doing this. Uh, near the end of the clip, it's like about a minute and a half or so. Near the end of this, uh, you know, because it goes along the way, and there's people actually cheering for this guy as he's passing, and they're going really, really fast. I mean, it's really uh-huh. scary. The guy, and it's just cringe. It makes you cringe when you know what's going to happen because it said it said 
uh, you know, train surfing accident or something. So you know right. something's going to happen. The guy is hanging onto the rail, and as they pass something, I don't know if it was a telephone pole or what, but it just smacks him right in the head, and he, of course, falls right below the train, and that's it. That's the it's end of the clip. Game over. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's done. I mean, it, it was all for that thrill of, of dancing on the side of this boxcar. And I've seen other people that are train riding, you know, surfing on top of a train, and yeah. they're kind of like, you know, going through the motions or whatever. They stand up, and they don't realize that behind them is a train uh, trestle, you know, the one that goes across the, the top with the, yeah. you know, the lights and everything. And just knocks them right off. And of course, you know, you know, the end result of that as well. Um, and there's all kinds of versions of this. I mean, sure. we mentioned special equipment that people use for high speed rail. They actually lock in with carabiners and, um, yeah. they have, they have suction cups that they use to adhere themselves to the outside of the train. And it's sort of, it's, it's not expected, but in, the, in certain cultures, they understand that that's the way some people get around and they, they kind of look the other way. Um, right, or it's a it's tolerated thing to some in some places. It's even kind of condoned. I like when you say tolerated. That's a better way to put it because they tolerate it. I think if they were able to catch them easily, mm-hmm. they would. But you know, of course, these riders know how to you know quickly get away once the train is stopped or just before it stops. Uh, so you know, there's not much effort put into the pursuit because the fine might be in some places a couple of dollars, like you know, as low as like two or three dollars. Sure. In some places, other places like Australia, I think, has a very strict fine. Um, it's like two hundred and fifteen dollars or something like that. It's it's way up there. So, and um, in the United States, uh, you get a, not only a huge fine, uh, you can also you know several hundred or even thousands of dollars. You can get uh, you can get jail time as well. Oh yes. Oh wait, wait. Before we get into that part, though, I just want to go back a little bit to give everybody an idea of how fast these vehicles are going when we say high speed rail. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, let's take, for example, Russia, which is an, it has several excellent examples of train surfing and rail riding. So uh, the high, the fastest train in Russia is the Velaro uh, RUS EVS or the Sapsan. And the Sapsan uh, has a maximum speed of 155 miles per hour. If they do a new high-speed line, that will allow for 217 miles per hour. And you know what? I would bet there's still going to be people that are trying to ride on the outside of that train. Strapping themselves in. Yep, because they're, ri- they're, they're currently riding on the 155-mile-an-hour version. And I can't even imagine what that's like. That's got to be just terrifying the whole well, way. And they can also, you know, if they're trying to set a record, they can up the mileage if they wish. So in 2009, uh, they set a record traveling 180 miles an hour. You know what? I think I've seen that video of that train traveling across country, and they're following it with a helicopter, I believe. Yeah. It's just, it's unbelievable how fast that train looks because... Um, you know, you know, we, we hear of race cars traveling at, you know, 200 miles an hour, something like that, right? right? And, and you see it on a racetrack. And the thing is, everything around it's moving at 220 miles an hour, 200 miles an hour, uh-huh. you know, the cars around it. And, and generally, there's a lot of space. It's not like they're, um, you know, driving past telephone poles and, you know, uh, railroad passings and, you know, all or crossings rather. And you don't get a good sensation of speed. That's why when you're in, air, in an airplane and you're traveling at, you know, 550 miles an hour, you don't feel like you're traveling that fast because uh-huh. there's nothing really to gauge, nothing around you traveling, you know, passing that quickly. When you're seeing these trains, these high-speed trains travel, you know, yeah. via this helicopter, you can see you can see just how fast they are as they pass some of these physical you know, features on the land. It's it's unbelievable. So I can't imagine trying to hang on to the back end of that thing or trying to, um, you know, just count on a carabiner that's holding you in place or a suction cup of some kind. It's ridiculous. I don't I just don't get the risk involved in in that particular 
Um, yeah, I, well, a lot of it, but I mean that that one in particular really frightens me. And the strange thing about this to me, Scott, is that this topic, which fascinates both of us, nobly fascinates uh, you as well, folks. It brings us to more questions than it does answers. Yeah, I've got a few questions that maybe are just kind of questions that I'd like maybe you and I to talk about just for a few minutes each, but the listeners, I'd love it if the listeners would would think about this and write in with their responses, because I know this is, it's an intriguing topic for sure. I'm glad, I'm really uh, glad you brought this up, this whole thing, because uh, it's fascinating. I, I really wouldn't have looked into it otherwise, unless, unless you had mentioned it. Um, but I, I guess, I, we'll start out with a simple one here, and I, I think maybe maybe it's not so simple, but we we had talked about kind of the the modern hobos, right, versus mm-hmm. the old traditional, the historic hobos. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kids, you know, they show up with brand new gear, and they've got the police scanners, and they've got their cell phones, and everything, and they do it for maybe a weekend or whatever, you know, just for adventure for a week. Uh, but do you think that a lot of people that do this are kind of still the young people? I mean, are, do you think they're kind of still getting money from mom and dad? Do you think that they're kind of um, they're living this lifestyle, but they don't really have to, or they they've got a way around it where other people have a true desperation? Yeah, I fear. I think that's a good question. Uh, doubtless, it's it's doubtlessly true that some people do have a, a financial lifeline, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it's also true that a lot of people don't and are purely committed to this because this is the way they want to live or maybe they feel like there's no other, no better option. Yeah, that they've been marginalized in some way, right? And right. Feel Call, like it's, yeah, th- calling them all trust fund kids or calling them all felons is incorrect. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But I see this kind of, and I, I, I liken this almost to, remember uh, the people that would travel with the Grateful Dead? Yeah, uh, yeah There yeah, were some the that, were, that were really into, I mean, some that you know had to sell chili, you know, in the parking lot in order to make it to the next show. Right. Uh, and, you know, to get fuel or whatever, for tickets. But there were other people that, you know, were the bankers, the lawyers that, you know, bought a, an old VW Beetle mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what they traveled in. But they had, you know, an, you know, a, a gold card with an unlimited amount on it you know, that right. they could also access. Exactly. Um, and, but they but they looked the part, but they weren't necessarily really, truly living that lifestyle. And I don't know. I wonder how how um, how quickly somebody who's, you know, in this lifestyle for, for real can single out somebody who is, uh, you know, kind of pretending to be a hobo. Right. I bet it's I bet it's something they can sniff out pretty easily. Right. Yeah. The, a lot of it is the uh, handling of the lingo, mm-hmm. and there's only so much one can learn through research. Right. Sure. Sure. And you know, we briefly talked about um, a lot of people that might be on the run, and yeah. it's kind of an intriguing thought. You know that uh, you know, some people are there may be some lifelong criminals that are out there, and that's how they're evading the police. You know that uh, that they're just kind of moving from city to city. And the pieces aren't really being put together of who these people are, you know, that, that are committing these crimes in this town. And then suddenly they appear in this area. Um, I just find that whole thing in, intriguing, you know, and it's not that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, in any way um, saying that it's, it's good that they do this or anything. But I'm saying that's a it's a clever way around the situation for them mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, they're not remaining in one city and trying to hide out in that city. Uh, they're taking it on the road, I guess. And is that <laughs> Is that something you feel is happening too? I mean, and in what percentage? I mean, I don't know if you can even guess this, but what percentage of the people that are riding the rails do you think have something that they're truly running from, other than I mean, like like legal issues, other than uh, not just something mental, you know, something that sure. you know they feel they need to, to escape, right? Uh, but something they they really need to escape, you know, like, like a warrant. Uh, exactly. What do you think? Do you think it's like half, or do you think it's more? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I will say that probably uh, there there is definitely a percentage there for sure scott but 
how many of those people just, as we said, got a ticket for trespassing or something and then didn't show to their court date and that became a warrant. That's true. So there's yeah. every level of this going on out there, right? And true. and honestly, I guess if you want to look at it this way, mm-hmm. anybody who rides a train is breaking the law. They're they're trespassing. Yeah, there's you know, you can see some really interesting stuff on forums where there are people who are genuine uh genuine practicing train riders, right? Train mm-hmm. hoppers. And they say um they they have a, a pretty coherent view or a pretty unified view they'll usually say the same things no one is ever no one is ever trying to induce runaway children yeah. to go with them yeah but there if you go to um if you check out reddit which has its own vagabond subreddit uh, or like you know sub page of the main site and then also has a page dedicated to just trains uh, you can find a pretty interesting conversation between Someone who is a train hopper and uh, someone who's a safety contractor for U.S. freight railroads. <laughs> and, okay. uh, yeah. So what a conflicting, uh, conflicting point of view, huh? Well, they have, you know, they have a pretty respectful conversation about it. And it's neat to see both sides because both sides are, are saying that safety is a primary concern. The safety contractor saying, like, why would anyone do this? In a post nine eleven world, right? Why uh, the, it's dangerous and ridiculous? Um, and then you know the other guy says, "Well, some of the reasons you outlined are are why I stopped riding a while back, just because I it's too too much stress." And then the safety contractor is saying, "Yeah, no kidding. Think about the stress it puts on my job. I work ten to twelve hour shifts and occasionally two to four hours of travel. It's like every time we have a report of a rider, we have to stop it, inspect it, verify." If there's a special agent nearby, he inspects it. If not, we uh, everything has to stop. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So these these searches can last hours. And uh, mm-hmm. if you are riding a train and your train does stop in the middle of nowhere for one of these searches, uh, you've got to you know make haste into the woods and uh, and hide out there for a couple hours until the train starts to roll again. So um, it's it's tough on both sides, right? Well, yeah. He says this is something interesting. He says. And I think it gives us a look into the human, the, the human element, right? He says, I know people are going to ride. And for those that don't have any other way or means to travel, I completely understand. Uh, and he says, it sounds weird, but I wish most people would just climb onto my second or third unit and ride inside a temp regulated cab. That's way less that I have to worry about. And so he's saying like, well, why can't we just have? A cab you guys can ride in, so I know that you're not going to get eaten by the wheels. That's true. And um, and it's strange because I've heard people say, you know, the bulls are very intolerant now in a post-9-11 world. But I've also heard stories where folks say, well, yeah, I'm on the scanner, I'm on the radio, and I might ask ask their dispatcher or whatever, what train's coming next, where, it, where is it going? And they, they, sometimes they'll help you out just because they're bored and it seems interesting. It's something mm. different. Wow. Strange, so, huh? It's really weird how they work together like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right, so just a couple more quick things. And, yeah. You know, you kind of, I guess maybe um, one of the things I was thinking about along the way here, and you take this to whatever level you want, but uh, there's got to be some health issues uh, when you ride the trains like this. Now, the, we mentioned the dust that these people tend to be covered with, and it's right. the, the, you know the, either the coal dust or um, you know it depends on if you're riding in the, you know the coal gondolas because um, they don't you know we obviously don't use steam trains anymore. But I'm talking about more like 
you know, the iron dust and the, uh, you know, that gets in your lungs. Right. And it covers their whole bodies. Dust talking about exposure to the grease and, you know, the, the chemicals that are on their hands and, um, you know, not, not only that, but like just personal hygiene issues, you know, like where you, you don't have a shower for a month or maybe more, you know, maybe it's a couple of weeks, but whatever the case is, you're not getting a, a regular shower. You're not being able to clean regularly and brushing your teeth and things like that doesn't happen right. as often as it would as if you were, you know, living in a home somewhere. Um, what about risk of infections? Because, you know, there is that jagged metal aspect of every car that you hop onto. You know, there's going to yeah. be um, dangers there. So if you're not wearing the right gear or if you grab onto the wrong, you know, piece of equipment or whatever, uh, you know, there's there's lack of proper medicine. You know, you're not going to have yeah. the uh, the treatment that you would normally get. I know that, you know, there's some, uh, in fact, that's part of one of the, the hobo code things is that, you know, there's a, a places around town where, you know, hobos can go in and get, you know, maybe stitched up if they need it and get right. uh, the proper antibiotics or whatever and maybe not be charged for that service. Um, so mm-hmm. in some cases. So I don't know. There's there's different ways to look at this. I know there's ways around this, but it seems like there's a lot of hygiene or health issues. Well, also, there are heavy drug issues. There's no way around it. Yeah. Um, I had read that a lot of people who are experienced freight hoppers, uh, when they if they die... Um, in in the yard or around the area, uh, often it might be a heroin overdose oh, okay. rather than you know dismemberment by a train or a lethal beating by a bull. Yeah. So there there are inherent um, or prevalent drug problems, drug and alcohol abuse, which okay. you know kind of comes with the territory. All right. So you know, all these things that we're talking about now, I mean, I know there's a lot of downsides, and there's a lot of advantages too, and and. You know, there's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the views, of course, you know, that everybody talks about and the freedom, you know, where you can go where you want, when you want. It doesn't matter. Um, you got a lot of friends that you make on the road sometimes. Uh, you know, you, the sure. ability to travel for free. You've got the opportunity, um, you know, to ride in on a car, on a car, which is kind of exciting. You know, you can kind of, as they say, you get to feel the train. You get to, uh, you can kind of sense that it's alive almost. Um, so you get a different sensation from, you know, traveling across the country than other people get. Um, you know, just a lot of opportunities that are out there for, for hobos, believe it or not, that are not out there for, you know, someone like you or me who's tied to the desk, you know, nine to five or you know, whatever. <laughs> right. But, um, I, I wonder, and Ben, and this is like might be my last bit that I have here to mention okay. about this because there's, there's still a lot to talk about. But do you think that this whole thing has been maybe overly romanticized? You know, that it, w- the downsides to me seem to be greater than the upsides to this. And it Absolutely. seems like, but it, but it's looked upon whenever you talk to somebody about it and, and maybe even somebody who hasn't done it, some people kind of get a faraway look in their eye and say like, Oh, that'd be great. Wouldn't it to, to be free to do something like that? You just choose a, a region. You know, I want to go live in the Southeast for a while. I want to go live uh-huh. in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I don't, I don't know how to, how to put this succinctly, but I think that it, I, I feel like it's been overly romanticized and to the point where people say, yeah, I could kind of see that lifestyle. And in fact, I might like to try that myself. But when you really look at the, the dangers, you know, the stuff that we've laid out today, along with the pros, of course, but sure. the, the dangers seem to far outweigh the positives to me. Yeah. You know, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I have immense respect for people who are surviving in this situation i do use the word surviving because it is definitely not easy and i absolutely agree that people have a uh, romanticized view about this uh listeners uh, some of you who are tuning into the show now work in in the railroad yards so i'm sure you are uh, have firsthand experience with riders and we'd like to hear what you think or if you've ridden a boxcar before um do the dangers outweigh 
the benefits. So here's the last question, maybe, Ben. Yeah. Would you ever do this? We, you knew we had to ask, right? Would right. you ever, would you ever do this even, let's just say that you had an opportunity to take a train out west and then bring that same train or the same line back. Um, would you do it just for the adventure of that one trip or would you, uh, I, I, I can guess that you probably wouldn't want to make a lifestyle out of this. I mean, just knowing you. I got really close, uh, when I was younger at that same rail yard I was talking about, a little five points. Yeah. Very really? close to hopping. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, but I didn't want to. Were friends of yours doing this? Acquaintances. Oh. And that's when I had the, uh, that's when I had this voice in my head saying, how well do you know these people? I see. Okay, you know so you I mean? would have your first your first um, experience would have been with friends. So you wouldn't have been alone if you were to do it, right? No, and I wonder if it's. I mean, of course, if you're new to it, you want to go with an experienced person that you can also trust. See, that's the tricky part. Yeah, and now I'll play the uh, the, th- the therapist, Ben. All right. Um, do you wish that you had jumped on that train? <laughs> I mean, do you ever look back and think, like, how different would things have been if I had just taken that one trip? Or would it be any different? Maybe you would do that, come right back home, and it's over. You know, it's just another experience, another adventure. Or would it be something that you might have got sucked into, you know, for a few years or a lifetime? Oof, these are deep questions. Scott. I know, I know. I'm going to have to get out the uh, the sign, you know, the therapist is in for five cents with the, <laughs> my little coffee right. cup or whatever. Yeah, do, um, well, I you know, I don't regret I don't regret it. I don't regret not going. It seems like an amazing thing, uh, for sure. And maybe the era where I would have been comfortable doing it is fine. But in another country, maybe, uh, to be honest with you, the, the laws in the U.S. and, uh, and the current environment don't make it, oh, the experience I would want to have. Oh, okay. I have immense respect for people. On both sides, people who are riding the trains, people who are working on the trains. And I hope that if you are on either side of that, you remember that these people are all human. You know, there are no monsters. Some might not be the best place in their lives, but, uh, you know, they're still people. And I guarantee you that they've all got very, very interesting stories to tell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can read some of these online. You can listen. To, I mean, there's some, you know, video clips of people, you know, just kind of audibly telling their story. Uh, to someone who's interviewing them, because uh, they're 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 happy to do that to a point. They'll they'll uh, you know open up to a point. Uh, but some of the um, almost diary entries that I've read on some of these sites, uh, I can't remember what the sites I were on was on, but um, hundreds of stories. I mean, like three hundred stories of you know like my first ride, or uh-huh. I witnessed a murder, or um, you know the story about you know that uh, that one woman that I met that you know I don't know where she is now or whatever. Just some fascinating tales. Of riding the rails, but they're out there, and if you read them, they're they're really intriguing. Yes, absolutely, uh, and you can learn more about this this strange. Oh wait, you almost got away. Very clever, Mister B. <laughs> All right, would you ride one? No, nope. hop a train. Nope, I would not do it. Not I, once, I, I never. Nope, I would not do it. I've got that uh, that cautionary tale of that young kid that I knew lost his legs. Yep, yep. I uh, I I will not get near a moving train. Not a moving train. I like I like looking at uh, stationary trains. I like riding inside of trains. Uh, uh-huh. You know, if I have a ticket, but you know, that's kind of a uh, I don't know. It's not not a very uh, brave way to look at it, I suppose. But the adventure and the and the scenery mm-hmm. that's that's the kind of thing that's the kind of thing that makes me personally it makes me drive more. Like you know, when I put thirty five or forty thousand miles in a car a year. It's like I, I want to know what's around the next bend. I want to know what's over the next hill. I want to I want to see everything, uh-huh. but I'm more comfortable doing that from an automobile than you know inside a moving train or outside of a moving train. 
I see what you're saying, man. For me, it's the idea of trusting strangers. It totally is that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know these people. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they can just toss you right off the train while it's moving in the middle of nowhere. Who's the wiser, really? So you heard it here first, folks. If Scott Benjamin ever invites you to ride a train with him. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, worst case scenario. Maybe. Worst case scenario. Yeah, for worst sure. case scenario. But still, what a fascinating aspect of American culture. And listeners, we don't know about you guys, but we, like many other people, assumed that this didn't exist. It has diminished greatly. I could talk about this all day long, Ben. I mean, I really could. It seems like something you could just, it just goes off on different tangents all over the mm-hmm. place. And there's so many different angles to this, you know, um, you know, wh- whatever the case may be, it seems like we, you and I could probably have oh, a, sure. a 10 hour conversation about this and still not extinguish all of our curiosity about the subject. Well, we could, you know, this could be part of a book that we could work on. You know, we call it uh, hidden America, the, the, uh, cultures, communities, and something else that starts with a C that exist invisibly around you. Well, the only problem with that, uh, t- to date, Ben, is that neither you or I have ever hopped the train. Would that's have true. To, would we have, have to, to get some, consult somebody. We'd have to get some first-hand experience, maybe. And that's, uh, I don't know, that's troublesome for me. But, uh, yeah, maybe some consultants. Maybe bring in some, uh, uh, bring in some hobos. Yeah, or we'll send Noel on a train with a GoPro. You mean Boxcar Brown? Boxcar Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Boxcar Brown. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed uh, as we enjoyed covering it. It has been fun. I like talking about stuff like this. And there's so much that we didn't get to. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Do you have experience riding a train? Do you have experience working in a rail yard? And if so, uh, what were those experiences? Yeah, and at some point in the near future, you're going to cover this on uh, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know as well, right? Right. We are covering this on Stuff They Don't Want You to Know uh, which is another show we do here at How Stuff Works. Uh, please tune in to that. Uh, I'll, I'll do an update when it comes out. I'm not sure when we'll get there. Slightly different angle. It's something intriguing, I'm sure. Slightly different angle, for sure. Uh, but if you want to check out some of our other podcasts on locomotives uh, and bizarre American history, uh, you can check out every podcast we have ever done at carstuffshow.com. So... If you are riding the rails now, or if you are working in rail yard now, uh, we wish you the best of luck. As always, be safe. And if you happen to be near a computer and you have something to say or a suggestion for something we should cover in our next episode, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us directly. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. 
Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit mrsmyers.com today.